Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Mallover Podcast, the podcast that gives you all the rugby news and opinion with a West Country accent, but with a Midlander, no, not even a Midlander, a home counties accent thrown in for a good measure. Russ isn't here, so we'll probably be coherent tonight. Hey. Uh... Ben. I love it when the Russ, Russ bashing starts early. Early doors, mate. Early doors. He's he's obviously um, because he's uh, now pretending to be middle class with his golf club membership. I think he's down there. He's on the committee already, isn't he? He's he's what I would describe as a busy club. Excuse he's what I would describe as a, as a golf club wanker. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, uh... he, he is my dad. Just thirty years in the past. Yeah. Yeah. What do I have to do to get a parking space? <laughs> uh, those two voices you can hear. The, the housewife's favourite, Phil Elkins, is in from Feeding the Pigs. How are you doing, Phil? Hey, guys. And yeah, um, I'm all right. Good. Good. I'm glad about that. And the other voice you can hear is the sensible one, the one with actual opinions. That's Ben Eustace. How are you doing, Ben? I'm good. Thanks, mate. They're both on Twitter. Phil's at Phil Farvet. Ben is at Ben Eustace. One? one yeah yeah the first of the ben used i on twitter um well done for getting that username thanks mate um yeah. probably because this i think there's only one of us really so made, uh, made life easier if anyone out there knows another ben eustace let us know um we're always interested in uh useless facts at the all over podcast so you know Get on that. Why don't we crack on with the first game that we're, and probably the only game we're going to talk about with any degree of knowledge or in-depthness, the England against Scotland Calcutta Cup match at the (laughs) wind-soaked... There's another Benjamin Eustace on Twitter from Ben Eustace. Um, Maybe we should hashtag, hashtag Ben Eustace. 
feel free. Maybe we can get it tweet, uh, get it trending. Um, yeah, uh, a wind lashed and rain soaked Murrayfield lads. Did you? Where did you watch the game? First off, were you playing Ben this weekend? Um, no, I wasn't this weekend. Um, we quite sensibly avoided fixtures during the Six Nations. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I watched it in the pub. Lad. Uh, yeah, with the uh, with the the Cran Top Massive. They sound dangerous. Or yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> ride your bike, sir. <laughs> well, actually, one of one of us came down in a mobility scooter. If that tells you anything, <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> I've got to get to Cransock at some point. Uh, where did you watch it, Phil? Uh, I packed the wife and kids off to a kid's birthday party and sat at home by myself and watched it like a boring old man. Nice. Um, and I watched it from the far left-hand corner of the pitch. Um, let me just start by saying that was obviously it probably looked bad on camera, right? It, but it looked bad on telly. The, the conditions, not not that bad, in all honesty. Okay, let, let me tell you. In, the, the game, the gameplay made made it obvious that right. Well, let me tell you. In in thirteen years of doing this job, that is the worst conditions I've ever worked in, and I've worked in some filth. Believe me, but that. There were three separate occasions where I was nearly blown clean off my feet. Because obviously you're not bracing against anything. You, you want to be light and loose and, and following play. And so these gusts out of nowhere. Because Murrayfield, have you ever been to Murrayfield? Yeah. It's like, it's, it's just a cavernous hole, isn't it? It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a concrete pit. Yeah. And, and the wind was, it was fierce. Um, yeah, it was horrendous. I can only imagine, you... like, George Furbank coming off the back of that performance the week before and then trotting out onto the pitch before the game must have thought, what have I done? What, what, like, what did I do in a previous life to deserve this? Were you on a, on a mobile rig? No, no, I was in the corner. So I was on, I actually shot the shot of Ellis Genge going over for the try that you would have seen on telly. Okay. The close-up of Genge dotting the ball down was me. I also had the pleasure of filming his post-match interview, but we'll come on to that later. Um, why don't we talk about the actual game itself? I mean, it it was pretty much what you'd expect from a game of those conditions. I I thought the first half was pretty dull um, with the conditions kind of dominating the. The, the chat and I don't think either side really had had a defined game plan that they were sticking to I just thought it was a bit it was all a bit aimless and 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 pointless and in the second half I thought it became a, a bit more structured and a bit more more um defined um but yeah you're right conditions dominated it big hit means ball gets goes loose kicks actually to be fair to George Furbank amongst others the fielding of the kicks, given the conditions, was actually, I thought, pretty impressive. Um, I've got to agree with you there. They were, you know, I can't even begin to imagine how they, how they were underneath those high balls all day. Uh, you know, it was impressive. I, I think the 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 way that England were playing in the first half, so Scotland in the second half, the way the ball was probably every third kick that got hit they got too much height on it, it was stopping and then coming back where it had come. And I think if you're the defending fullback playing 
with the wind, that's got to be the hardest ball to catch of all is, is one that you, you've got set and then you've got to chase. You know, you're moving forward and then you've got to keep following the ball and you're going to get smoked because you're just getting closer and closer to the chasers as well. Well, John, Johnny May and, got smoked for the first hit of the game, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And I, I just, yeah, you're right. Everyone was, you know, considering the conditions, they were brilliant under the high ball. Um, I, I think almost in those conditions, I, what I enjoyed, I, I really enjoyed the match. And what I enjoyed most of about it did. is those, con- <laughs> those, yeah, <clears throat> those conditions almost took it back to a, just a standard second team game because you couldn't trust the line out. You couldn't trust kicks to touch. You couldn't touch it. You couldn't trust hey, anything. We've we've been pretty critical of Jamie George at times in the past. His line out throwing, given given the way um, Fraser Brands were going all over the shop, his line out throwing was actually spot on. Whether it was front, middle, or back, he hit his man pretty much every time, um, and and that is something quite impressive. Well, um, I think having cruising was a big thing as well, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a real move and. And Atoje made it really hard for both Scottish hookers. And, you know, England's line-out was, was really impressive. Uh, defensively as well as attacking me. They were, they were pests. Um, but to me, you say you take it back to a, a second-team game. And what makes a big difference in a second-team game is, is having enough carriers who are going to stick their hand up and, and take the ball on. And, yeah, Mako will do a better job of that than Joe Marler. But I, I still think we look a carrier short. We look a ball carrier short with that that setup. If you've lost the ball carrier in the backs because neither Farrell nor Joseph are big big hitting players, and you've lost Billy, I, I just think we look a bit short. And probably I, I said to you before, Ben, when they announced the squad, that I think they'll get away with it because it's Scotland, and I think they kind of doubly got away with it, bearing in mind what the conditions were like. But if you imagine. If you imagine Don Brandt in that side, how much of a difference he would make when England have the ball. Or, I don't know, even someone like a, a, a Brad Barrett or a Ben Teo or a Jamie Roberts type character. Just somebody in the midfield who you know is going to get a bit of go-forward ball and look after it, I think changes the entire complexion of that of that England play. Yeah, although I don't think either side really wanted the ball in that game. It was It was try and pin the opposition back and hope for a mistake. I, I actually thought England played it pretty well in the first half. Um, and, you know, I, I thought they definitely won the territory battle. And if 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 those two missed kicks had gone over, they would have been 9-0, which would have been almost out of sight, really. Um, and then I think what happened early in the second half was you had that, what was probably the best bit of play in the whole game was when Hogg fielded a ball in the middle of his own 22 and, and ran it out and then made a decent kick into touch. And I think that spooked England's kickers a little bit, which was why they were forcing those kicks down the touchline that kept for, for a 10 minute period, every kick they did went straight into touch because the wind was just gusting so much and they were, they were putting too much of a risk on the kicks. They were, they were pushing them too far wide. And I wonder if that was why was because of um, the danger that he showed. Um, but then of course, he made that huge error on the kick that went went through from Ford, and um, that pretty much killed the game, really. Looking at the, the yeah, yeah. Sorry, go on, Phil. Go on. 
No, I was just going to say, um, I think, because um, Ben and I had a bit of a chat about this, I, I, I think the the tactic to kick was right. But you're right, they were going for for low percentage kicks. With the wind going the way it goes, anything down the touchline, there's a, there's a reasonable chance the wind's going to catch it and it's going to go straight out. You don't have to kick long to the fullback if you kick down the middle. There's a big open space there. And England seem to never use that ball that's just behind the back line in front of the fullback in that in that bit of space and give people a bit of competition. It's either down the line or it's long. So to expand on the carrier's point, you think that, do you, can you see Eddie Jones changing tack with his selections or do you think he's going to double down on this Ben Curry thing? Because to me, we're weakening two positions by playing Curry at eight. We're weakening seven. Or six, whatever one he plays, I don't bloody know. Stupid. Doesn't matter. Yeah, still hitting people with your face, aren't you? Wherever you're six or seven, <laughs> you're weakening seven and eight. So, to me, the problem is Eddie, just... Eddie. Just the more you go on about it, the more the press go on about it, the more everyone goes on about it, the more he's going to stick by his decision and 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 like I say, double down on that. I can't see Don Brandt being called up. Mark Wilson's come back, played in the Premiership semi-final. If he has a good game next week, he'll probably be in the squad, and that would be where I would think he'll go. And yeah, so he's he's stubborn, Eddie is, and there were still enough occasions on Saturday where Curry's feet at the back of the scrum were all over the shop, and they're like, it was called a couple of times on commentary. The right thing to do here is put on a secondary shove and go for the penalty. But to 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 make a secondary shove, you've got to have an eight who can get the ball at his feet to show that the ball's under control and keep it there. If the ball's in the second row and it goes down, the refs are just going to reset it or or call to get the ball out and play up. Um, and like I'm all for giving people an opportunity to try something different, just not in the bloody Six Nations. If if he wants him to play eight, he should be on the phone to Steve Diamond saying, "I need him to play eight. So there's a debate to be had there. Like you could say, as we did a couple of years ago, that the Six Nations is a, you've got four Test events for the World Cup. Eddie's won Grand Slams. Why do you keep need, needing to win them? Can you can you that that back row should it stay healthy? And Ben Cur- and Tom Curry proves that he can play eight. We'll probably play at the next World Cup if it stays the same because I can't see Billy ever making that squad on a on a regular basis. So you could say, well, test it in the Six Nations because we have it every year. What does it matter? On the opposite side of that, you've got the the argument. Well, look at what's happening in Scotland. They're losing. They're losing games, and they're not picking their best side. And sooner or later, Townsend's going to pay the price for that. Eddie doesn't seem to be in a position where he's worried for his job, which is fine. I mean, um, he was asked on the BBC interview whether or not uh, it was a pressure reliever and he just shut it down. He just said no comment about that at all. Um, So it would seem that he's just using this as a a testing ground and then the Six Nations after that and then the summer tours after that will be even further experimentation just for a World Cup. Ben? I I wonder if he'll if he'll stick with it for the rest of the tournament. Was it two years ago where he had a toe in the, in the back row? Yeah. And every, well, and Brad he, Shields. <laughs> yeah. And he just, he just stubbornly stuck with it till the end of the tournament and then sort of quietly shelved it and hasn't really gone back to it. 
I wonder if he might do that. I mean, Curry did play very well on Saturday, but almost as um, another flanker. He, he carried pretty well in the loose um, and, you know, got, got several turnovers. Um, you know, Underhill played exceptionally well as well. Um, he, we, we had him in, in the pub as the unanimous choice for Man of the Match. Um, which I think he was officially, wasn't he? Yeah. But those two are, they're pure flankers, aren't they? And one's, yeah. one's more of a, a sort of um, physical sort of grunt guy and one is uh, a, a proper turnover guy. Um, they can both do a bit of the other, but in amongst that, you need a, a serious carrier. And it's not Laws because... He doesn't carry like a number eight. It's it's got to be Billy, or they've got to find a a substitute. And it doesn't look like he does fancy Don Brandt, so maybe he's got his eye on someone else. Or Sam Simmons, um, uh, Joseph. Yeah, yeah, Sam Simmons. Sam Simmons. Merce, I suppose if you um... is injured, I don't. I've got my doubts whether Eddie fancies him as well. But you know, he'd be high on my list. It, but, it makes you wonder what what the squad would look like if somebody other than Eddie was in charge. If you if you look at the other country that's done this whole, we've got two flankers and we're going to move one of them to number eight. You've got the the Pooper situation in Australia, the Hooper and Pocock, and Pocock spent most of the time over the last couple of years, last few years, playing at eight. But it only really works for Australia when they've got somebody playing at six, like Scott Fardy, who's just a horrible little man to but carry the ball and just do a lot of beast work. You could argue that and it's that, not working for Australia, though. Well, exactly. But but when it works best is when, actually, the difference between an eight and a six is only relevant for, for them at scrum time. Um, Fardy plays like an eight when he was playing in that role, and, Pooper's playing, and Pocock's playing like a six. Um, but when it comes to scrum time, Pocock happens to happens to go at the back of the scrum. Um, I've, I've said the word numerous times over the last year or so. It's it's about balance, and there's something about that team at the moment that doesn't look balanced to me. It doesn't have the right the right balance of of characteristics and skills across the board. And where I think it's light is in carrying. South Africa went through a stage of playing low at eight. And as soon as, as soon as they bought Vermeulen back in, they looked a better team because he's a piece to stop. Yeah, he's a natural eight. He's hard to stop. He's pretty decent at the breakdown as well, to be fair to him. Um, you know, I think if, you, if you've got a natural eight, that's who you've got to go for. Would, would Wales, you know, they had Navidi filling in there, but now Falatau's back and they're not going to, they're not um, going to go back. Even I know Navidi's injured at the moment, but Falatau's still going to be starting. But that Wales team's always looked better with either Falatau or Moriarty in there as somebody who's going to put their hand up 15, 20 times a game to run into a dark corridor. I mean, we've done it again. Is We've talked about it for five minutes where actually someone summed it up in the first sentence, which was <laughs> that, that it, it's weakening two positions. You're playing your best seven at eight. And he's not as good an eight as some of the people that you could draft in. So why do it? Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Totally. Um, I just wanted to touch on 
I mean, we're an English podcast. If you're Scottish, or Irish, or Welsh, unlucky, we're going to talk more about England. But the worrying thing for me is that we've we've got this um, Simon Amor in from the Sevens as our attack coach. We've got a, a new scrum coach in. The defence coaches remain the same, but overall, there's an alarming lack of sort of direction in in the way England play. It it kind of feels like there is no scripts. Like we're just going to go out. We're England. We're better. We'll win. I I wonder if because they were just dreadful in in Paris. Do you, do you, but I don't think they were better in Scotland. But I think. I think in Scotland the weather was so bad that you couldn't you couldn't even stick to a script. I don't think that it was almost Johnson pretty much said it at half time in that you can't. What what is your script? It's all right. I'm I'm in the corner in my own twenty two. We'll kick it away. But at some at some stage they were kicking and the ball was coming backwards. So he just said you're going to have to just play rugby. You're going to have to just play what's in front of you and. I, so I don't think you can read too much into the patterns. I mean, the attack coach, if he'd seen that weather forecast, he might as well have it a week off. Yeah. You know, the, look, uh, see, see I, I think it's the other way from that, Doug. I, I don't think it's that there is no script. I think that the script is too too narrow and too tight. And it's about one out passes, hit it up three times, do a box kick. Um, and you've got somebody in George Ford who is an incredibly creative fly half. And I don't think he's being given the license to do that. I, I we've said multiple times about overcoaching, and I, and my suspicions are that the the players on the pitch don't feel like they've got the ability to go to a plan B. It's this is what we have to do because this is what's been drilled into us. We do this, we do this, we do this, we box kick. To and me, actually, they they look at their best when they have a bit more freedom about things. To me, England have looked at their best consistently when they only play either Ford or Farrell. I don't, I don't yeah. think that. I don't think that ten, twelve. Thing, I think that rather than give you two creative options, I think they cancel each other out and they just end up playing percentages. Well, when when two creative options seems to work at its best is when your second one's at thirteen, not at twelve. I think. Yeah. Because actually, then you then your twelve is doing what you're. Your two Alangi, your Mike Tinder, whatever role is is doing what it needs to do in in terms of occupying the minds of defenders. Yeah. Look, whereas I, whereas two Alangi out of thirteen, he's he's too far out for most of the game. I mean, in my opinion, the the the, the, the starting back line would be outside of nine because we're going to be picking Ben Youngs. It, it would seem until rugby stops. Um, <laughs> it, it it would be Farrell ten. Tuolangi twelve, uh, Slade thirteen. That that would seem like you're, what Eddie wants to do. I, I I think he feels like again, it's another situation with Ford Farrell where you're weakening two positions. I don't think our, our best fly half is Farrell, and our best twelve is either Tuolangi or Joseph. Right? See, I'd I'd say. You could interchange Joseph and Slade in that. In terms of, I know Joseph isn't the the ball player that Slade is, but he he optimizes a little bit of space, and actually him out wide with a big ball carrier inside him is probably going to get the best out of Joseph. Um, I agree that certainly 
with it with a totally dominant pack, Ford can look amazing. But we've I've got concerns about Ford when the pack isn't totally dominant. Um, and I think Farrell is probably a better controlling ten, eight games out of ten. I would, I would just add we did play Ford and Farrell when we beat the All Blacks at the World Cup. But I think England doesn't really matter who they play. They're very much dependent on quick ball. So if Youngs has one of his days or the back row's not quite on it, then we we don't look at half the team. I know it's probably the same for every team, but it's very noticeable. Once England's ball slows down, they, they really do stop making any ground. Um, I mean, oh, it's, it's funny the interview Matt Dawson before the game, and he's like, Everybody's raving about DuPont being the best nine there is, and how amazing he is, and he's revolutionizing the game at Scrum Off. He's doing exactly what everybody else was doing in the late 90s, early noughties. He's sniping around the edges and he's shipping the ball quickly. But Scrum Off have gone into this kind of slow containing mm. role, yeah, pick the ball up, take two steps, ship it to 10, and let, let them do it. Yeah. And, and Scrum Half seems to be making some absolutely baffling decisions at the moment as well, like Scotland needing to get some points to get a bonus point at the very least with a minute and a half on the clock. They're inside their own, between their own 10 and 22. And they box kick it down the middle of the field. Yeah. I don't understand what they, what in their best, in, in the nine's best case scenario, what they get out of that. The, the amount of games I've seen where with with so little time on the clock, teams kicking it away. <sighs> I, I just don't get it. I don't get the, the, the box kick culture that we're in at the moment. Where no, nor do I. It, you know, you do three phases. You know, I mean, the classic one for me is where you catch a kickoff, the the receiver runs it out of the 22. They do two phases back into the 22 so they can't kick it out on the floor and they just leather it down the field. Just just kick it yeah, straight to touch if that's your game plan. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they, at see, least... they see restarts as an option to clear the ball to touch. Yeah. Uh, I I don't get it. But yeah, I, I, while we're on the nines, how do you, what, do you think it's fair to judge Willie Hines on that performance given the conditions or do you think he'll, do you I, think I, Jones I, is going to stick with the two? I thought till, it, till they had that sort of collective breakdown after about 45 minutes I thought he'd done quite well um, because if you are going to box kick he's probably your best option if that is that if that's the game plan in those bad conditions then he is a good box kicker whereas Young's is you know wildly unpredictable or having said that when Young's came on he actually played quite well yeah so um so England don't seem to be making a huge amount of half breaks that do, for the other scrum halves, make the other scrum halves look fantastic. Yeah. Rynak's always running on that inside shoulder. Anybody with a Welsh shirt on with a nine on, you know they've got gas and they're going to be running on that inside shoulder. Is it that the English scrum halves don't run those same lines to get on the inside shoulder? Or is it that we just don't make any breaks that is ever an option? Well, I think Young's used to... He used to make his own breaks quite regularly, didn't he? Um, yeah. Well, it's which, the classic Dan Robson gave, thing. Yeah, but it gave, it gave Youngs the opportunity because he does do that two-step thing. But when they thought he might 
duck back inside, the defence didn't like immediately oh, swarm out at him. But because he hasn't done that for seems like twelve months, so now the defences are just well, he's just going to walk across the pitch a couple that, of times that's before a, it gets That's a it. really, really valid point. I think that re that you look at the sides that have got really good sniping scrum halves and the the defence, especially around the breakdown, it holds people in place, doesn't it? Yeah, and so you get bigger gaps on the outside. With England, you know you're not going to, you don't need to defend the pick and go, do you? You don't, you don't need to worry about Ben Young's breaking down the blind side. He's not going to do it, and nah. and there, and therefore the the, the Farrell, Joseph, they don't have the time that they would get when you look at a side like Northampton when is 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 um <clears throat> who's the centre at Saints who doesn't get picked for Scotland. Hutchinson. Hutchinson. Is it is he getting the is he getting the space to do what he's doing because of the threat of Reinach around the breakdown? Probably. And so, you know, do England need someone that can do that in order to free up the space for the rest of the backs? Could they be a different side if they had a running threat at nine? But he, even if it's not a, a pick and go running threat, it, there's no there seems to be no kind of second man out, half break, inside pop to the nine. And I don't know if that's because we don't make the half breaks or, or because the nines aren't there to take the inside pop. Um, like our scrum half for England at the moment is not is not an attacking threat of a position. It's a it's a distribution to 10. Mm. That's that's distribution to 10 and box kicking. That's purely the role of the nine. Yeah. And that, um, but that in, in which case, if, if you, you had the person with the best the best and quickest pass and the best box kick. Yeah. Which is probably Wigglesworth. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. And I've been saying that for years. As much as I don't like their game plan at Saracens, he is the best option for the way England play. But could you imagine someone like Harry Randall, the space that he'd give forward, no, like just holding the flanker or, you know, holding the opposition seven, getting to 10 with the threat of being able to make a break out of yeah. you know, out of set piece ball or something like that. I just don't think it's never when, an option I'm, for England, is it? But I'm I'm trying to think about the last time England had a had a half break down the middle of the pitch and I and I can't think of one. So um the the Welsh try at the weekend um that Williams scored effectively came from Alan Wynne Jones running a hard line and then offloading through the tackle and then a, a couple of inside balls and there's your scrum half. I can't think of a time when England have made a half break recently and then going back three or four years when, when they did make a few, you, you break that first line and, and it's just a matter of Tuolangi running, running against a fullback with nobody on his shoulder. I mean, you, you could imagine with, with a sniping scrum half, you know... They get there. The, yeah, but the 10, the 10 coming in and playing nine and you're still distributing to Owen Farrell, it's still a good option, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's not... You're not... All of a sudden, you're not dis- distributing to um, Manny Tuolagi, who's going to, you know, just crash it up. <laughs> you're distributing to someone that's going to create. And it's not like there's a shortage of them. I mean, you've got Robson, you've got uh, Simpson, Randall, um, Townsend. Like, there's there's four without thinking too too far about it. Yeah, Danica. and and you 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 would think that. Danica, yeah. So what that would suggest is that. England are so structured that they don't want that 
sort of off the cuff thinking from a nine. They just, like you say, you just want to have the nine shitting passes to a fly half, you know. Just find a robot to do it. Yeah, absolutely. The the <laughs> scrum bot 3000. Yeah. <laughs> um, anything else to add about this England game? We've been rabbiting on for half an hour about it now. Uh, it feels like I could go on a lot longer. So uh, just one thing quickly. Um, obviously, if, if Mako's fit, he plays because he is world-class. But I, I love seeing Ellis Gange on a rugby pitch. Just everything about him, to me, is is what rugby should be about. He plays hard. He generally plays fair. He likes a little bit on the edge. He'll carry the ball. He'll make tackles. He'll put his hand up. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, I love him. Agreed. Agreed. I would love to see an England front row of uh, Genge, Thacker and um, Sinclair. That that would make me that would make me happy. You'd probably I'd hate have... that, wouldn't you, Ben? Um, it wouldn't be my first choice. I just I about... just love to see a, a sixty meter try with offloads to from a Genge carry up bumping two people off offloading to Sinclair, out the back to Thacker, sixty yards under the post. Beautiful. What about what about Genge Sinclair and Cowan Dickey? That's that's what I'd like to see. Yeah, Cause... yeah, that's because you're from down there, aren't you? Yeah, but it's, it's 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 grunt, it's grunt and direction at the expense of um, I don't know, uh, I can't think of the word that I'm trying to think of, but um, creativity. Mm. So yeah, for me, Harry Thacker could be England's um, scalp bricks. Scrum off. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. He could he could be that that guy. Yeah, the the all round you could play him at scrum. You could play him at eight. You fuck it. You could play Ellis Genge at eight, rather than Tom Curry. You imagine him off the back of a scrum. That'd be fun. Uh, no, just me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, while we're talking about Ellis Genge, um, I mentioned it on Twitter. I wanted to talk about his interview so obviously everyone's seen it I was filming it I'd just like to add um, and it was quite funny because Sonia McLaughlin didn't quite know what to say to him um, but I thought I'd get your thoughts first what did you think uh, yeah uh, not not a lot to be honest um, <laughs> so yeah not enough to make a significant opinion about Fair enough. Um, to me, and you've lost my picture because I've got my notes up here, that it was a little bit... I mean, it's great that you've got people who are giving honest opinion and, and, and being... It was it was overly flippant for me, but I thought I'd just go sentence by sentence because it's worth breaking down just what he was saying because it, some of it is quite, you know, interesting. Um, I've got a few thoughts thoughts about it because... This week, in the build-up to the match, there was a lot of stuff about. Excuse me. There was a lot of stuff about um, the language used around around games and how players are being censored and they shouldn't be saying this and a lot of crap on Twitter. I, I, I assume you all have an opinion about Wargate. Yes. No. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a bit a lot of fuss over nothing. I, 
I think it's odd phrasing, but I think most people know that when they say it's going to be a war, they just mean physical and and difficult. Br- they, brutal. Mm. They, yeah. yeah, they don't. They don't mean they're going to be fixing bayonets or <laughs> jumping out of a boat a hundred yards from the sea, climbing yeah. over the bodies of their comrades. Yeah, Car- carpet bobbing training grounds. Yeah, it, it, I think people realise they don't mean that. Um, could could they maybe use slightly different language? Perhaps they could, but why? Because you know it, it's not literal, is it? You know, no. They, People say they're going to go out and spill their guts for the team, but they don't necessarily mean <laughs> eviscerate. Carry, carry, you know, yeah. It, it's uh, so. I think that was a lot of fuss about not very much at all. So what what we're getting at is that people are absolute ones. Yeah, that's it. May, yeah. Maybe just chill out a bit. But so what I wanted to do, um, I'll so Ellis Genge obviously. Um, gave an interview to Sonia McLaughlin after the game in which he was sort of a little bit testy, I'd say, um, about the perceived slight that the squad were given after the France game. Um, What I've done, I've recorded the interview, um, uh, illegally, I might add, there's copyright infringements all over the gaff here, but, you know, we'll go with it because the BBC aren't going to listen to it. and I'm going sentence by sentence. It's a two-minute interview. Obviously, um, it may or may not drag on. If it drags on, I'll skip on. But I've, I've made a few notes on each sentence. So um, what you'll hear now is Alice Genge talking and then me coming in with opinions about that. And we'll start with this. Just give us your thoughts on the, on the moment you got the winning try in a Calcutta Cup match. Um... <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember. Uh, although it was like 20 minutes ago. Um, it's all a bit of a blur. It happens quite quickly, doesn't it? All a bit of a blur happens quite quick, don't it? No, Ellis. Right? I played football when I was a kid. I can remember goals that I scored for my Cub team when I was six years old. If I scored a winning try for England against Scotland at Murrayfield to win the Calcutta Cup 20 minutes ago... I'd be remembering it. Not only would I be remembering it, but it'd be a 60-metre solo effort in which no one got near me. In fact, I just I eviscerated six Scotsmen on my way to the try line. So, yeah, just, mate, I get that you're being aloof, but just say, yeah, it was amazing. I scored a try. It's brilliant to score a winning try. I don't get why you need to be flippant about that. I really don't. Uh, the next sentence. Um, obviously, you don't really plan for anything like that to happen, but all on scripts, played quite well, and, yeah, luckily I was the one who picked it up, just timing, isn't it? I mean, again, I don't really know what you've said there, Ellis, because how can it not be planned but also be part of a script? Do you know what I mean? Obviously, you don't really plan for anything like that to happen, but it's all on script. That makes no sense whatsoever. Just be happy that you've scored a winning try. You don't need to be so miserable. You know, and also... Part of the plan was two blokes behind you pushing you over the try line. So you literally, you know, it was planned. I don't get it. So all the while this is happening, I'm thinking, Ellis, I get, I get, you've got this image of being like a funny guy. Yeah, yeah, I love it. To cap that off, he then swigs a beer on an interview on the BBC. Lad. 
I can tell you that you drove over with a bit of help from Maru Itoje and Owen Farrell was uh, delighted. So give us a sense of what it's like in that dressing room right now. Quiet, a few of the boys are getting drug tested, I think. So um, it sort of takes a sting out of it when all the boys ain't there. Um, but yeah, we're buzzing, obviously, happy to win. But uh, there's more to come. Uh, and I think that's what we're excited about, to be honest, is that... Uh... I mean, again, so much to process. He's had a beer. That would suggest that it's not quiet in the dressing room because everyone's on the beers. And they were because the dressing room, they were all... Like, you could hear the England dressing room from about 50 feet away. You know what it's like after you win a big match. Everyone's everyone's going at it. Um, but they're quiet, buzzing and excited, but the sting's been taken out of it. I genuinely... I, this is the most... This is Trumpian in its ramblingness. I don't get it in the slightest. But, you know, characters in rugby, so it must be good. Well, we had a bump in the road last week and everyone was writing us off saying that we weren't good enough, uh, saying that our coach should be sacked and that the, the boys were a different team from the World Cup. Yes, Ellis. They were saying that because England were fucking shit the week before. You were pretty bad tonight. You also had a completely different team from the World Cup. You had an 8 of 15, three locks, terrible scrum half, a coach who ignores form players and you couldn't win a Grand Slam any longer. That's why they were saying and, and pacing you. And this comes back to something that really annoys me about professional rugby and professional sport in general, in that if you criticise someone, it's a terrible thing. These people, all they want is reaff affirmation that they're brilliant all the time the fact is England during this period in the, the last three games have been terrible yeah would you agree with that last uh, three uh, the World Cup final I, I didn't think they were terrible on Saturday they last three games they've been substandard they, they last three games they've not de delivered on what they should have done I think that's fair enough to say. I think what, what they want, though, is for everyone to say, look, I know you're lost, lads, but you were brilliant. So thanks for, thanks, for, thanks for showing up and earning your money. Thank you. I really appreciate it. But Did that sting, the team, the players? It doesn't sting, but it's just it's classic, isn't it? Like, you've got a lot of sausages saying things that just come to their head and, like, what are they on about? <laughs> Ellis said sausages. That's all that went around Twitter after this interview. He said sausages. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure what you want, mate. You know, if you play badly, people are going to say you play badly. Just take it on the chin. Do you know what I mean? Like we go out and win in Scotland away in the... I was about to swear, sorry. Lad. In the rain. Um, and now everyone's singing our praises. Uh, or whatever, innit? Like we're on to the next job and I'm sure we'll have more critics and yeah, it was good to get the win. That's all I've got to say, to be honest. Who's singing your praises? This interview took place nine minutes after the game in which you spent seven minutes on the field shaking Scottish people's hands. What, are you getting advanced copies of Stephen Jones' interviews or what? Because who's singing your praises now after that, that win? It's not even like you played well. It was sketchy at best. I don't get it. I'm hasn't, I'm uh, hasn't Sonia effectively, to, to a greater or lesser extent, sung their praises? No, no. She's no, she hasn't. the The question was, um, the the question was, if I go back, I can't, I can't remember what the question was. But she wasn't oh, singing. Matter. She wasn't singing praises. It was he. He's literally come off the field. You can, you can, you can almost hear their their pre match team talk was like, everyone's slagging you off. But if you win this, they're all going to be right back on the bandwagon again because you know you've beaten Scotland. Let let's. Let's remember here, they beat a Scotland team without their best players. 
two of their best players, Hutchinson and and um, Finn Russell, weren't on the field. It was blowing a gale, and you've beaten a Scotland team by, what, eight points? Does it spur the team on, though? What? The, the criticism that came your way after the defeat in Paris. Oh, it's just, it happens every week, doesn't it? You lose a game and suddenly you can't play rugby anymore. So, um, I we shut all the critics up. If anything, they've asked more, they've left the critics with more questions than answers. And I hope they watch that game as well. We have literally just finished watching it, Ellis. The, the most rambling interview I've ever heard in my life, but I do love Ellis Genge, and that's the, that, that, that's the weird thing about it all, isn't it? You know, he can talk absolute nonsense for two and a half minutes on the BBC, and uh, I still love him. So, yeah, that's my breakdown of that interview. I hope uh, it wasn't too boring. I'll, I'll listen to it back, and if it is boring, I'll cut it out, and you'll never know. Um, I think you've been unfair on a couple of counts there, Doug. Go on. Well, on a, a sort, sort of smaller point, I think I don't think England did play that badly. I think in those conditions, they actually played okay, and and to dog out a win, which was effectively a fifty-fifty game, I, I thought they did pretty well. Um, but I, I think again, for a start, I think a lot of them were pretty stupid questions, <laughs> and, and she she sort of shoehorned a mention about Owen Farrell looking happy. It's like, what relevance did that have? Um, and I just think in a, in a sort of any given rugby team, you've got some people who are more um, sort of talkative, um, sort of more, um, I don't want to say like eloquent, but like the, the, the people that you would put in front of a camera. And there's the other ones, the sort of ones that might just sit there like quietly. And, and although they might be a bit of a laugh in the change room, like amongst other you know, people around the club, you know, they probably keep quiet. And I wonder if um, Genge is one of those. And, and so you've got this guy, he's just come off the pitch. So he's probably pretty excited, pretty wound up. You've gone, right, Ellis, is, is the BBC. Carry on, sorry. Here's the BBC. You get out on national TV. Make sure you don't swear or say anything <laughs> bad about the team. By the way, take this beer with you. <laughs> I don't think anyone told him take your beer so, with you, mate. And and the other thing is, like, how many times have you started something on this podcast? I know I've done this a hundred times. Got halfway through what you're saying and thought, oh, I've just completely contradicted myself, and I'm going around in circles. <laughs> um, and we do I this. Think... We volunteer to do this. He was probably just like Ellis. Go speak to the press, mate. You just scored a try. <laughs> man, 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 man of the people, isn't he? Hey, so, there's a the There he is. Him. Look, upside down, Ed. <laughs> back from his meeting. I think we're we're all agreed. We like the bloke, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I love it. Yeah, I, 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 look, I don't get me wrong. I love the interview. It's just my, the way my brain works. While I was interviewing, while that interview was going on, and I was sitting there watching it, I was like, "Well, that don't make sense." Who, but who, you know what? Especially the you know moment about, uh, done, especially about the thing about um, they're all singing our praises now. Who, who's singing your praises? How do you know people are singing your praises? They might be saying you were utter shite. You don't know. Isn't that though? Well, isn't that though a fairly typical thing sports people say? It's like they were writing off this week. Now they're singing our praises. I mean, and that, and that um, leads yeah, on I to think... my other point that everyone's saying, "Oh, great personality, this, that, and the other." He's literally just given an an, an interview full of cliches just in Bristolian. So I think I think you're overthinking this. I think he's gone on saying... That, that's not possible. I've, 
I've I've got to, I've got to go and do an interview. I'm going to make this as shit as possible, so I don't have to do another one. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, well, that's it's absolutely worked what, the other way, though, right? I yeah. tell you what, next, next time you can get some posh public schoolboy who's been in the debating society. Well, it's funny actually because uh, the interview after that was Ben Youngs. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Irish. So, I saw I saw an interview with him and his mum back in back in Knoll, who anyone from Bristol will know is uh, not not the highlight of the city. And uh, even in a relaxed environment, he, he isn't quality TV interview material. <laughs> so post post game when emotions are high, like there's no way in the world the BBC are going to go near him again. No, well, it was funny the the amount of. Uh... Confu- confusion that the sausages line called and all I wanted to say to Sonia and I didn't say it because I'm you know I'm a camera guy and I sort of stood there and I don't talk to talent but I, I basically just wanted to say yes yeah, Sonia mean Sonia sausages means dicks he wanted to say dicks <laughs> but couldn't <laughs> were you were you inside filming that interview I filmed that Have interview I yes I did Wow. <laughs> so if Ellis Genge listens to this podcast, he'll recognise you. Uh, no. no I, well, he'll, I doubt it. He couldn't remember a try 20 Genge. minutes ago, mate, so he's not going to remember me, is he? <laughs> um, also, Doug would have had a camera in his way, and we all know Doug's only about four foot five, so the, the tripod would have been taller than he was anyway. Answer from Russ there. Turns up late, thinks he can get put it put it on me. Not having it. Um, <laughs> also shook Eddie Jones's hand. Quite a loose handshake. Was it disappointingly loose? Not disappointingly loose, but he, you know, one of the few high-profile sports people that actually shook my hand and said, "Hi, mate, how you doing?" Before the interview. So, yeah, excellent. Him and Alan Pardew, <laughs> the only people that have ever done it. <laughs> Sweaty. That, what, Pardew's hand. What, uh, what a what a pair they are. Jones and Pardew. Jones and Pardew, yeah. They could fight crime, couldn't they? That would definitely be be on at 3.45pm on BBC, though, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. That's not not prime time. No. Just just after Doctors. Yeah. (laughs) It's Channel 5, that is. I I definitely don't work from home. Um, (laughs) So it's not very often you get in, you know, it's not very often that you're the the man on the inside, though, Doug. You know, it was... uh, Bit of a change in the norm. Uh, yeah, it's just the BBC do things slightly differently. Um, I was on, you know, one of my usual cameras, but uh, yeah, they they um, yeah, just do it slightly differently. And on that day, to be perfectly honest, I was glad of it. I can, I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess you've already gone through how horrific the conditions. Oh, it's foul. Been. Yeah. Uh, what I haven't taken you through. Uh, actually, I'll save that for my AOB. Um, Look, it's uh, we're bloody hell. We're fifty odd minutes into this podcast, and uh, we haven't stopped talking about England yet. Should we? Does anyone want to say anything about Wales v Ireland? Yeah, Johnny Sexton is a prick and is the worst candidate for the Irish captaincy. Um, there you he go. is every everything that's wrong with rugby at the moment. Bill dropping bangers, chipping in the ref's ear all the entire match. I think I heard more of him than I heard of the ref. Like penalty against him, and he just goes up and starts interrogating the ref like it's the Spanish Inquisition. Well, he's bigger like, than the game, though, isn't he? That's the thing. Yeah. He thinks he's bigger than the game, so that's that's what that's all about for me. 
Um, other than that, Ireland did Ireland well. Wales didn't do Wales as well as they could have done. Yeah, Wales hardly had the ball in the first half, which absolutely killed them because when they had the ball in the first half, they, they looked really sharp. I mean, the try they scored was an absolute beauty. Um, but Stander, if, if, if Ireland win this tournament, Stander's going to be player of the player of the tournament because he was brilliant again. Turnover after turnover. Um, yeah, just... CJ Stander. Yeah, CJ Stander. Um, Conway played well on the wing. Um, you, you just got to think, you know, Tompkins was the, the best thing since sliced bread and he had a bit of a... Shocker in the first half, didn't he? Yeah, Hench. Jordan Lama, Jordan Lama just sort of brushed him aside. Yeah, first try. Henshaw flattened him once. Um, the tackling for that first try was dreadful. It was really bad. Um, but you know, I don't think I don't think Wales. I don't think we know much more about Wales after that that game than we did before. But they lost bigger. Yeah, we, I, I don't I think, think we, we, lost, we sorry, learned too much about either of them. So I was just going to say, I don't think we learned too much about either of them. I think Wales are a, a side that are emerging again, trying to find their feet under Pivak. Farrell is rolling out the same Ireland team and the same style of Ireland performances that they did under Joe Schmidt. And it was all a little bit sort of status quo. I, do, I didn't, I, I genuinely didn't really feel any anything about the game whatsoever. I mean, I think it was a good game, but it was quite similar to what you would see um, in previous seasons with, with the one difference that Wales, Ireland seemed to pick them off out wide quite a lot, quite early, um, which I don't know would have happened back in the day. Um, I think I think you've got to realise that Wales are trying to play in a different style and they've played in the same style for 12, 13 years or however long Gatlin's been there and they're they're finding their they're finding their feet with it. They they're gonna take a few they're gonna take a few L's before they start clicking and they've got they've certainly got the players to play the way Pivot wants them to play. It's just gonna take them a little while to bed in and, and the problem with the Six Nations is there's no you know, the only game you can sort of <coughs> do that with is Italy and they had that first up so you know I don't think you'll see the best out of Wales for a couple of seasons to be honest and uh, hopefully the WRU will stick by Pivak and give him time because that's what he's going to need it because those players are all so ingrained in the way that Gatlin played it's like taking over from Sir Alex Alex Ferguson or Arsene Wenger isn't it you know Gatlin's been in charge for such a long time you know, how many England coaches have there been since Gatlin took charge of Wales? It's it, it, it's going to be a long old process, and like you say, they need to they need to stick with him. And and, and they you, don't um, have the they don't have the depth of of talent that they could have whole scale personnel changes. The bulk of the squad is going to be the same. And the, the stupid that I heard uh, the egg chasers talking about, it, but when when you get players like Tomkins, Tomkins is at the best club or was going to be at the best club in the world for developing players in terms of high profile rugby and now if he wants to carry on playing for Wales he's going to have to go and play for the Dragons or Ospreys and get pumped every week I mean it's you know they're it's a valid point why 
the stupid rule where they've got to play in Wales, the stupid rule that stipulates England players have got to play in England, it's, it's detrimental to the whole the whole process for me. Did um did you notice a first cap for um Sonny Wynn Jones? He must have done more offloads in that game than he's done in his <laughs> entire career. Sonny Wynn it was. Uh, I thought yeah, I you could just yeah. you could just imagine Pivak at the first coaching session going and just showing videos going. Now, lads, this is an offload. You haven't seen <laughs> one of these for a few years, have you? But we're going to try it. Yeah, but stick with me. Yeah. Stick with me. Oh, oh, Hadley, Hadley. <laughs> this is how you pass a ball, mate. Well, I mean, Wayne, Wayne's Kiwi, but whatever. Yeah, no, need, that was that was a Kiwi accent. Neither <laughs> of them have got that accent. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I I can't I can't do that sort of hybrid Kiwi accent. I'm just I'm just no good at it. This podcast's gone down to Swanee since he turned up, hasn't it? Yeah, as it's terrible. <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyone want to talk about Italy France? Didn't think so. No. Could, one thing I would say is we've been going on about scrum halves for a long time, and the French have got two absolute perlers, haven't they? I mean. Mm. Dupont for the second week running just got boxed in by three players and somehow just glided his way out of it. And then, class. Do you remember yeah. when? Sorry, do you remember when he came off the bench for his first cap? It um it Twickenham last season. I'm pretty sure was that was his debut, and we were marmalising them. We'd we'd scored thirty points in the first half or something, and we we'd, we'd really gone to town on them. And he came on in the second half, and they looked like a completely different team. And between him, him and Untermac and um, Serra, when he came on, and then you add into that Pinot and um, Rataz. I know Rataz is out. I think he's out of the Six Nations now, anyway. But they've they've got some real exciting talent, and I'm a big fan of the the back row guys, the the, the skipper Olivon. It's almost and, like it's um, almost like Aldrich as well. They've got a coach who actually goes, do you know what? We've got some bloody fantastic players. Let's stop picking all the behemoths and actually pick players that are talented. Yeah, that, I mean... that and we've got a home World Cup in three years' time. Yeah. Let's let's bring them in now while they're 22, 23, 24. So in three years' time, we've got a really well-gelled squad of, mm. of youngsters. I mean, that try Sar- Saran scored was... was fa- Fantastic. I mean, it, it was worth watching the entire game for it. And uh, as Russ says, their back row is very good. Um, but they did, and 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 the try that um, Untermax scored, where he just sort of just ate up the ground without looking like he was running. You know, he, when he looked like his dad, basically. But um, then they just went and fully, what fully Franced it, didn't they? They just lost interest, and and Italy looked decent in stages. Um, that- Let's let's be honest. This French side are going to get turned over by some good teams over the next few years, because there'll be games when Intermac has an off game. There'll yeah. be times when he's put in different situations that he doesn't understand. There'll be times when the centre pairings have to switch or whatever. But they've got the makings of a real quality squad there. It seems and like we say that at every, the start of every World yeah. Cup cycle with France, eh? and then they should. No, no, they're not going to no, get away with that middle-of-the-game performance with Sean Edwards, though, are they? No. He, no. He's not going to go, oh, well, we're but, French. He's going to... 
I mean, someone's probably gone through a glass coffee table already. <laughs> but the, the start I reckon he has one. He has one at the, the at the changing room door, and as they're coming in off the pitch, he just throws his victim through it, and no one's allowed <laughs> in the dressing room until that's done. It just, he just he, he makes them all line up like yeah. in a queue and lets them all walk past until he then rock bottoms one of them through it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but you don't know which one in the queue is going to be. So he's just he's just letting people walk past him until, until that one person. And he just RKO someone out of nowhere. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> unbelievable. The, Sorry, Phil, um, you you were about to make a was, salient no, point there, say, weren't you? I was. The start of every other World Cup cycle, there's been five or six hanger hangers on from the previous squad. There's been your your Michelacs or your Ujes or your um, Basteros, or there's there's people who you feel like they're in there to add stability, and all they do is they stop other people coming through. And this French side has gone. Now nah, fuck it. If you're not good enough and you're old and you're fat, go to the major league rugby and put on ten stone like Basteros at the moment. Jeez. Oh, it's, it's horrible. Looking tremendous. I I do feel like it's like been a about young Russ Milson. Yeah, a bit, <laughs> a bit, a bit like a, a bit like a young slim Russ Milson. Um, I do feel like it's only been about 20 minutes since the last World Cup in France, though. I know that's not the case, but obviously there's not many, many countries that actually host it. But, you know, we've had two, six, two, 16 years, two, two World Cups in this country fairly recently. Obviously, that's going to change. Japan last time was a bit of a break from the norm. But I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to get, that... get this French one out of the way. Then we'll be going to America for the next one. That's when Dougie makes his money. Yeah. <laughs> Dougie gets the camera money. Dougie gets his uh, taco budget out. (laughs) That's not a euphemism. No, it's not. I'll be eating all the tacos. Let's move. Don't come in here, mate, 45 (laughs) minutes late and start trying to move the running order on like you're Rod Stewart. Who do you think you are, fella? (laughs) Shall we move on? Rod Stewart. (laughs) Um, Some premiership news. We've had our first managerial casualty of the year. Um, suit makers across the Midlands are are uh, crying into their into their sewing machines because Di Young's been given the axe. Um, well, he's he's gonna he's gonna need he's gonna need a couple of suits for interviews, isn't he? That's true. So, if anyone out there is a dab hand at making a seventy-four inch neck shirt, you know, is available <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> and and any um. SIA registered companies looking for door staff uh, on the on the night in the nightclub nightclubs of Coventry and anywhere but anywhere between Coventry and South Wales, sort of could, Romsgrove, Worcester. He um, could cover two doors at the same time as well. <laughs> He'd actually be a bargain because he comes with that little guy with a beard and a laptop, and he could monitor the CCTV. Die oh. <laughs> <laughs> two doors young. <laughs> Um, expected or or what? They they have been getting drastically shitter for the past four years. Since so been adhering to the salary cap, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, since yeah, so I think it's been it's been coming. It's just been a matter of time, hasn't it? Does yeah. anybody else? Uh, does anybody else think it's just a bit of an interim until Rob Halley gets the job in the summer permanently? Why why not just? Kind of, uh, I know he, I know Rob Howley's banned, but uh, have you heard, have you why, heard something about that then, Ross? Well, I've I've heard some rumblings that potentially Rob Howley could be 
Should we get some money on it? Well, do you want <laughs> to put some, do you want to put some of our own money on it? No, mate, that was a gag. Tough crowd. Oh yeah, of course. Tough crowd. <laughs> <Jesus> <laughs> mate, I, I'm not I'm not I'm not fully up to speed on the on the podcast. <laughs> I um I don't think Dai Young will be out of work for long though. I think no. overall he's done a pretty good job at Wasps. Yeah, and I think there'll be there'll be enough teams that he'll be part of the manager or merry-go-round now, won't he? Mm. Mm. Uh, and I wonder whether actually the whole Sarri's relegation thing has given the Wasps board the ability to go. You know what? Let's get him out of here now. Let's not worry about trying to make sure we stay in the division. Get him out of here now and give whoever it is going to be a chance to to do a bit of work in the interim so we hit next season running. Cool. Um, now, Ben, I know you don't want to talk about this, mate, because you don't care. But the RAFU have cut the funding to the Championship Rugby um, by 50%. Is it 50%? Around that, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, at, the same, at the same time as lifting the funding for the Premiership A-League. Yeah. Not really sure I get that. Spring fencing. Yeah. I mean, is anyone interested in A League well, rugby? I... Really? But they want to make they want to make the A League the the feeder, the act the actual feeder into the to the premiership clubs, don't they? Rather than have the championship you know, as the older players as such, the people that that don't make it through, through the academy structure to go and play professional rugby um, below the premiership. I mean, the, the RFU statement itself was, was an absolute joke. Um, the, the, they, they sent out a tweet that said something along the lines of um, we will be continuing to fund uh, championship rugby, but did not in any way stipulate that you'd be continued to fund it, although cutting the budget by 50%. And it just, like well, Phil what said, is the, what, is the RF, of... what I don't get is that it's the RFU Championship and it's Premiership Rugby. They're different. Why is the RFU putting money into Premiership Rugby? At all. Uh, that's that's the question, isn't it? Like They're all independent clubs that broke away from the RFU to form the league. I, I just don't understand it at all. And all of those clubs, they're all good, you know. If, um, if, if so you're, if you're amped, I suppose a, a, you know, a, potentially, a potentially salient point is um, us and the French leagues, as far as I'm aware, are the only ones that maintain promotion and relegation from essentially the top tier. All of those in the Southern Hemisphere have effectively a, a regional type system where yeah. you've got clubs with and, and feeder no one clubs underneath. It. So do the Welsh. So do the Welsh. So nobody watches the feeder club. Fair. No, no, but no, no nobody watches any other team. rugby, mate. The only the only rugby that is watched is the English league and 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 the French league. And the French second division is actually almost better supported than the Premiership. If they actually yeah, fund, um, if they fund the pyramid correctly and they market it correctly, the, the championship could be a viable don't, alternative. Don't get me wrong, Doug. I I think this is a this is a mistake and a and a travesty. I don't think it's fair to say that nobody watches Super Rugby, um, but certainly nobody watches. Have the, you seen the crowds when um, you watch the games? 
Uh, I've been in some of them. Um, 60,000 uh, seated stadiums with 4,000 people in it. Yeah, but certainly nobody goes and watches the, the feeder clubs, um, the, the National League equivalent. And, because and there's no jeopardy for it. There's no, there's no... And, and, it's, and it's the same with, with the Welsh system. The regional system in, in Wales has killed club rugby in Wales. The, and that's um, what's going to happen the regional in system, well. The regional system in Scotland has killed club rugby in Scotland. The regional system in Ireland has killed club rugby in Ireland. So that's, that's effectively what we're saying is there is only one level of rugby that matters. That's, that's effectively what the RFU is saying. Absolutely. And if you, if you take that down from tier to tier to tier, what will happen is the likes, the likes of your club, your club rugby's, um, your Hornets of this world, moving up to your, your next levels in your, your sort of county into counties levels before you go to National League, those clubs will steadily and steadily lose any revenue that they had coming in from sponsors and stuff like that. And, and they will steadily start. What happen is any young player that's any good will be involved in a college and then probably some kind of satellite academy, like all the good players in and around Cornwall end up at Truro College and then part of Extra Academy. So they can't then reach a certain age and they can't play for their and you know sooner or later the the standard then becomes that much poorer because the better players aren't playing in it and the few people start to drift away from the game because they're not enjoying it because the standard's not that good and then where's your future of club rugby why why do players on the edges of premiership teams want to play for an a-league side when they could be playing in games that actually matter, what what what's the point of the A League? The, the point of the A League is for the first teamers to get some game time when they're coming back from injury. I, I think the to, to keep the to keep the squad players fit, match fit. That's that like yeah. nobody nobody watches it, nobody cares about the results. It's it's competitive training effectively. Yeah, but I think I think there could be a way to to make it better. And if you, yeah, it's called the championship. Yeah, but I and mean, those players that are playing what, A League rugby should be playing in the championship. Yeah, and that's that was where I was going. Is actually those academy players, those A League players, do what the the Exeter do a lot of the time with the Cornish Pirates and have the dual and Plymouth Albion. And use the clubs around in, in the championship and national one. So the younger players spend the season in national one, maybe the slightly more, you know, the second team reserve players can have dual registrations with teams like the Cornish pirates. And for cover, um, for wasps, it would be Coventry for, for sale. It would be Rosslyn park, say, if only there was a model, for how a second division and a tiered league system works. If only there was like football or something that you could look at and go, oh, <laughs> that's what we do with our young players and our players who are coming to the end of their career. We move them on and then we create more competitive leagues and then we find players in the lower leagues and we move them up to the bigger leagues. The problem is with rugby is the, is the, is the money aspect that people, instead, instead of dropping down to play for X amount of pound a week to keep themselves comfortable... 
to be in a position to be so financially secure that when he has to retire it down the leagues at 32, 33, he's, he's not going to be picking up 10 grand a week playing it, you know. Well, that's going to become even worse now with no, uh, no ab- money going down through the system. Absolutely. It, it, well, it just becomes non-existent, doesn't it? Why would anybody want to go and play in the championship when they've, so, got, when they've got nothing na- to play for, really? So National 1 will become amateur. National um, Championship will become semi-professional. And those guys are going to go, you know what? I spent 10 years battering people. Fuck it. I'm going to do something else. Fair enough. Yeah. Look, Ben Ben looks like he's going to kill himself. Let's let him speak. Um, I I agree with everything you said. Like, I think having the championship there is a good thing, especially for younger players to go down to and people make their living out of it. And I hope no one loses their job. But my view on it is I don't really know enough about all the finances and stuff to have a very strong opinion. Um, but, you know, especially the argument Russ made about the um, you know the way X to work with Pirates and Albion it's it, it's a strong argument I think um, but you know the, the rugby is run by a sporting authority and that they're, they're all pretty much ruled by money you've got the ECB you've got the FA you've got the Olympic Committee that they're, they're all ruled by self-interest short-term interest and, and it's all money and you can't you can't trust them to make decisions for the long-term health of, of whatever game they're making the decisions about. It's I mean, like, yeah, I agree. It's like I tweeted the other day. The, the RFU is an organization run by blokes on half a million pounds plus a year who are cutting the funding to an entire league because they've run their, they've run their governing body into the ground by making corporate hospitality a priority over actually developing rugby players. Fat cats in suits. So yes, I agree I'm with you com- entirely, Ben. But let's <laughs> let's end this because like I say, you look like you're gonna kill yourself. So um <laughs> Okay. Does anyone want to talk about the upcoming premiership fixtures in a sort of what's gonna happen kind of way, or do you not? No. No. Fixtures of Gloucester Exeter. <laughs> Exeter win. Quinn's Irish. Irish win for me. Saracen Sale. Sale win at the Saracens. Calling it now. Uh, Worcester Bath. Don't care. Hope they both lose. Saints Bristol. Uh, Saints Leicester Wasps. Uh, again, if they could both lose, that'd be great. Any other business? <laughs> that was very comprehensive. I like that. Yeah. Well played. I might try that more often. <laughs> Who wants to go first? Ben, you've never oh, usually I'll got go. anything, so why don't you go first? Me? Yeah. You're Ben, right? No, I haven't got nothing. I haven't got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. You went to the pub no. with a Crantock Massive and you haven't gotten any other business. Well. Surely someone rode a cow home or something. Something like that must have happened. Yeah, but that's that's an everyday occurrence. Oh, yeah, but, I mean that's. But you wouldn't want to call that out as unusual. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I you know, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, to Mayflower. I mean, she doesn't listen because she's a cow. Um, <laughs> what what are Tim, my brother's cows? She had triplets. 
Oh, go on then. Jesus Christ. Which, which Phil, I'm sure, will tell you is um is quite unusual. Yeah, I think it's about four in ten thousand pregnancies. Just off the top rightly. of the head, Phil knows how many cows have triplets. <laughs> four in ten thousand. That's incredible. Something like that. Fact. And, uh, which which when you've only got what's what's Tim got? Sixteen. Ten thousand cows. Yeah, he's got a few more than that, but um, has he got more 40? friends or cows? He doesn't. He doesn't have. He doesn't have. Tim's definitely got more cows than. Friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, He'd be Phil, the how many to admit how many sheep well. have triplets in a ten? How many sheep have triplets? Oh, per ten thousand. Uh, Can I do this with it, any animal? It's about it's about eight eight percent of sheep have triplets. Really? Yeah. Chickens. <laughs> Chickens lay eggs. Yeah, but they can lay so, triplets, so right? Technically, how many eggs can they lay at a time? One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's like saying that a cow giving birth to triplets. That's not triplets. They give birth one at a time. Otherwise, they'd all three come out at once, wouldn't they? Yeah, the chickens lay their eggs one a day. One a day. No, they... 20 in a 21. Yeah, but cycle. you can have double and triple egg yokers, can't you? Yeah, but they're not um, fertile. What about mini eggs? This has been the Millions best piece of, of all over podcast uh, <laughs> podcasting in history. If anyone wants to know, it's pretty much any... unheard of for pigs to have triplets. Is, is it? I, I, yeah, do it. I like that, Doug. Do a, a little Twitter. <laughs> yeah, if anyone's got ask, any ask, animal ask, questions ask. at Phil Farmvet, just ask him your animal questions. <laughs> he's got all. He's got all the answers. <laughs> but yeah, shout out. So, what was the name again? This uh, name checker again. Uh, Mayflower. Mayflower. Well done, Mayflower. She's, she, she, she's a Janna cow. Yep, I bet it's like a wizard sleeve um... now, isn't it? <laughs> it's like a yawning hippo. <laughs> I won't have I won't have a word I've said against her. She's she's a prize winner. I'll have you know. <laughs> yeah. I can't can't believe you just objectified a, a heifer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. well, you'll have you'll have Phil's vegan friends onto us. Old uh, Patrick's going to love this, isn't he? Straight in the nonsense <laughs> column, or will it be <laughs> straight in the uh, veterinary corner, farmer's yeah. corner? Yeah, I think I think that should be a like semi permanent item on the podcast. I, I I was I spent a little while looking for the jingle for things Doug likes the other day. So if anyone actually knows an episode with the jingle for things Doug like in it, can you just tweet me because I need to play it to someone. I think I think I've got it somewhere. Have Might you? be in a Dropbox. Can you Might WhatsApp drop- it, mate? If you've got it, I'll try and fi- I'll try and find it. Nice one. Can we have an impromptu one now? I haven't got it, mate. No, Otherwise, I would. No, 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 no jingle. Just something you like. Something I like. Well, I've just um, treat toffee ice cream sauce. Oh, that looks like diabetes in a bottle. <laughs> Off yeah. of the eighties. Um, it's a it's three hundred and twenty five so, grams, not done in milliliters, despite it being a liquid. And three hundred and twenty five uh, grams of sugar per hundred grams contains uh, carbohydrate of which sugars seventy three grams per hundred grams. Per, so there is wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> that that seventy percent of this is sugar. 
<laughs> how, how, how many calories per 100 grams? It doesn't. I, the calorie uh, content is not. Uh, no, per 100 grams, 331 yeah. uh, kilocals. Wow. You're not going to get a calorie deficiency if you just drink that, are you, at the gym? No. There you go. Uh, Phil, any other business? Yet, yet still better than you than a can of Monster. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. Um, yeah, so um, I, you won't notice because I'm in, I'm in the darkened loft, been banished from the house for the purposes of recording, but I've got massive bags under my eyes because James, our, our eldest, was up all night throwing up. Now, having a kid that's sick is never much fun. Dealing with another person sick is never much fun either. What amazes me, though, is he had bacon macaroni cheese for tea at five o'clock then went swimming then after swimming had two slices of cheese on toast was sick all night long there was no cheese on toast no bacon entirely unchewed undigested macaroni coming through <laughs> i i don't believe that's a food stuff i i just cannot see how that is food if it could have been in his stomach for about nine hours and still looks exactly the same as when it went in. Was it undercooked? Was it al dente? What, was it fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Never cooked pasta for kids al dente. Boil it to within an inch of falling apart. I reckon it was more solid when it came out than when it went just, in. Just reformed. Yeah. It's like, it was like a, a pasta version of turkey Twizzler meat. Yeah. It's, it's like he's got some kind of gland in his stomach that rolls pasta into macaroni shapes before <laughs> regurgitation. Anyone else do that with their ice cream, by the way? Yeah, my seven-year-old does. Yeah. <laughs> Claiming it. Have you made, you made an ice cream paste? Yeah. You're an absolute joke. <laughs> um, this is definitely going in a nonsense style. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel sorry for whoever's doing a pie chart this week. Hmm. Rugby, rugby. I've just found. Do you remember? I've just, I've just hashtagged um, things Doug likes on Twitter, which was tighty shorts. But I did find wall over podcast Doug Saracens moan of the week, sponsored by Rugby Saracens. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember that regular feature? Yep. <laughs> yep. I think there's been one today. Incredible. Right? Yeah, I guess, I guess there must have been. Um, I'll go next and only very quickly uh, recommendation if you've not watched it a British drama called The Stranger we've uh, binge watched it over the last four nights all eight episodes um, and finished it last night and it was absolutely exceptional for a, for a British drama of that nature very sort of line of duty style um twists and turns and if you like that sort of thing then uh, then get on it also stop giving weather names i think i've done that one before but i fucking hate it so um the stranger yeah it's based on a harlan coben book and um some of his books are exceptional and some are worthy of stopping your desk rocking and that's about all all right mate stop bragging let's let's not turn it into i read tell stuff. no one it's in one show. sitting you read what? Sorry, Doug. Tell no one by Harlan Coe, okay. which was also made into a film. Um, why any other business? Strap yourselves in. So, 
just finish my ice cream. I uh, obviously worked at the England-Scotland game at the weekend. Um, Storm Kiara. It is Kiara, not Kira. Um, blew in. It was obviously a little bit of a a little bit of a worry. I was I'm without a car at the moment because I'm I returned my my last lease vehicle and I'm waiting for my new one to be delivered. So I'm without a car. So I was working in Aberdeen on Thursday on the Premier League darts and then travelled down to Edinburgh to do the rugby. I was meant to be working Friday. That got cancelled. I, I ended up working just Saturday. But the, the plan was to get a lift to York and then get a train home from York. So, obviously, the weather blows in. The lovely Lizzie texts me at, I don't know, it's probably about 10 o'clock on this. 10 o'clock? No, it's probably about 5 o'clock and says, oh, you, you should probably check the trains because it looks like the storm's going to have an effect on travel. And sure enough, my my train and all the trains subsequently on the on the Sunday were cancelled from York to London. So slightly concerning because I don't know how I'm going to get home. I'm staying at a friend's house in York, and I was like, "Well, I can't really stay there all day Sunday until Monday, and then get the train back on Monday. What do I do?" So on the way back from York uh, from Edinburgh to York, which was scary because of the wind and rain. Um, I start looking up bus buses and various ways of getting back. So I end up getting a National Express coach from York at um, quarter to one in the morning. So at quarter to one in the That's morning... A, that sounds like one of the most horrific experiences known to man. Oh, it gets better. Um, so the bus is due to leave at quarter to one, gets into Heathrow Airport at 5.30 a.m. <clears throat> I'm waiting at the bus stop in York, opposite the train station. The guys come out. I say, I want to buy a ticket now because I didn't know if we were going to make the bus. So I did, couldn't pre-book a ticket. By the time I got to the station, I couldn't pre-book a ticket. Pre-book was 20 quid, got to the station, 37, 37 quid on the door. I mean, why it's 20 quid and then 37, I don't know. Anyway, two Geordie blokes get off the bus. One's a conductor, one's the driver. Straight away, they're up for a ruck. I was like... I was first in the queue, so I was like, can I, can I buy a ticket now? Stand over there, wait till everyone else is on the bus. I was like, the only time I've ever been spoken to like that before getting on a bus was when I arrived at Wendover train station before I got on the bus to go to Holton Barracks. Russ, you'll probably know about that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, a tramp came up, tried to get on the bus with a discarded ticket that was three weeks out of date. They threatened to call the police on him. Um, two students rock up next. Uh, one gets on, he's booked the correct date. The other student has booked the following day by accident. They won't let him on. Um, and he was told, it's not my fucking problem, pal, by the, by the conductor. Uh, and then an African chap tries to get on. He's got a, clearly got a ticket. I could see the ticket, but the conductor just didn't want him on the bus and threatened to call the police on him. 15 minutes later, a very near altercation has happened. I finally, but bearing in mind, it is absolutely twatting down with rain at this time. <laughs> I'm standing outside. Eventually get on the bus. Before I get on the bus, I can't actually pay for my ticket because their card machine stops working. So 
He says, we're going to stop at the services just south of Sheffield. Get out, get cash. Give me the cash. Okay. So we get to Sheffield. Services, get out, get the cash. Come back to the bus. Sort of stood outside for a couple of minutes. No one said anything. I just got back on the bus. Get to Heathrow. And I'm expecting to get sort of collared for my money. No one says anything. I just got off the bus and walked off. So I got a free lift back from York to Heathrow Airport. Um, because these aggro blokes have got so aggro of an African man that they forgot that I was on it. And to cap it all off, I get a refund on my train ticket. So it actually cost me minus £38 to get from Edinburgh to York on uh, Storm Kiara. So it is a little bit of a, a bittersweet story. But can I just say, never, ever travel overnight on a, on a National Express. The horrors you see are just... There was a baby that cried the entire way. I mean, the entire way, like, just fill it full of sugar or something. Do anything to stop how, it crying. How, how selfish these children existing. Mate. Shut up, Phil. I'm not, having, I'm not having that. There was a bloke behind me that thought it was socially acceptable to sniff. You know, you know, the, <laughs> that noise. I thought you were going to finish that sentence with glue. No, well, there was a bloke. There was a bloke opposite me that kept disappearing under his coat for a few minutes at a time. No idea what he was doing. He could have been masturbating. He could have been sniffing gear. He could have been doing anything under there. It. By the time I got off, it was such a relief that uh, I really didn't notice that I'd been up for twenty-three and a half hours. Anyway, that's my other business. I'm sorry if it went on a bit. Congratulations. That, that's an epic story. Cheers. Although I might get a National Express to Cornwall. There you go. Cheapest way to get there. I wonder who got the power pack. <laughs> wow. Um, Phil, do you think the earth is flat? Do I what? think the earth is flat. You just no, text me and say the earth is flat. You clearly do. Oh. No, I, I texted you with actual figures from Super Rugby matches showing that the attendance is higher than the Premiership. You said you're not having it, and I said that's up to you. Fair and equally, enough. the earth could be flat and vaccines might fuck people up. But There you go. Um, probably going to cut my any other business. It went on a bit. Uh, that, that'll be it for this week. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm editing it, so it might be out a bit later than usual. But... Um, Anyone got anything to say before you go? It's already, it's already three days late, mate, so I won't worry about it. Yeah, true, true. It's free. What do you expect? Cool. Well, if that's that, then we'll we'll leave you alone till next week. Um, it's been a pleasure. Russ, uh, you got over it yet, mate? Not quite. I know. Absolutely. I just... It's been a tough week for me this I'm week. I'm sure it has. You fucking bandit. Getting a... Get, getting over the uh well no in fact i played you and then got cut shot without even lifting another golf club yeah. <laughs> don't even know what how that happened well, so uh yeah and um thank thanks for having me at your house no worries it was an absolute it was, pleasure it, to see it was you. nice Let, let's... have you got your um i was just gonna say have you got your own parking spot at the golf club yet not yet mate no <laughs> give it time so it's only a it's only a maritime Let's um, let's organise it properly next year and have a full-on mall over for the Super Bowl party. Yeah, like it. Yeah. Love it. Cool. All right, I'll let you go. I'll, I'll...
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.